You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. I am super excited today because we have a very special guest. Her name is Chloe Murdoch. She is also an eating disorder recovery coach, so I love speaking to someone who does what I do. And Chloe is just amazing. On Instagram, you can follow her. Her name is flow with Chloe, which is very catchy in my opinion. And I think you're going to love our chat today. So without further ado, Chloe, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. You're so welcome. I I feel like our listeners are in for a treat because um, we haven't talked a bunch uh, on this podcast much about veganism and orthorexia and like restoring your body's period. So I figured that's something we could talk about today. But before we do, I'd love to hear a bit about your background and what brought you to becoming a coach today. Mm, so personal background or professional background? I want to hear the the story, like the hero's journey. Like hero's I want to hear a little bit about, I know you're recovered yourself, so I'm sure the listeners will want to know about that. Well, I definitely have a hero's journey. I tell all <laughs> of my clients, if I can do it, trust me. Like I was one of the worst cases I think I've even seen amongst like all the people that I work with and I'm like I can do it you can do it too. My story starts out like many others at the sweet age of 14 when you're starting to go to high school and body is changing and things are changing and I got into dieting and that was sort of the first thing that led me down this spiral of 11 years of disordered eating. I dealt with orthorexia, which is this like fixation on really healthy eating. So it started out with the diet, the anorexia. I'm going to start restricting myself. And I think very quickly I realized this isn't sustainable and I can't do this. So then I was like, fine, I'll eat, but I'm only going to eat a certain type of food. So I got really fixated on finding the perfect diet and That took me through so many different things, the keto, vegan, raw vegan, fruitarianism, so many different types of diets I tried. Um, And then I also developed an exercise addiction. So I was very exercise bulimic. That was my way of sort of purging through my calories. And so I sort of dealt back and forth through all of those three things simultaneously as well. And so it was quite the long journey of me just being really uncomfortable in my body and not being able to listen to the signs that it was giving me that I was completely on the wrong course. So did you feel blocked from those signs? 
Um, I feel like I was definitely living in a numbed out state. Mm-hmm. And I had things so set in my mind of like, I'm doing something healthy. I think the media really sort of screams out there the importance of dieting and exercise and eating clean foods and all of that. And so me being the perfectionistic I am, I really took everything to the extreme. Like, oh, exercise is good. So I'm going to exercise for six hours a day eating vegetables is good. All I'm going to eat is vegetables. And I really took it all to the extreme. And it was hard for me to recognize that that was really damaging my health because I kept on getting from the media so much sort of reinforcement that what I was doing was right. Mm -hmm. It was this weird complex. And you see this a lot with people suffering with orthorexia, this sort of moral superiority, this I'm better than thou because I take care of my body better. I eat only clean foods and you heathen over there eating pizza. Like (laughs) how dare you take, you know, or put that into your body. So it was a very like self aggrandizing sort of feeling of I'm healthier and better than all of you. That is definitely something I've seen, especially since diet culture connects morality and worth and value to what you're eating. So that's, I mean, I am not surprised that if you're eating perfectly clean, you might end up feeling like I'm a little better than those people eating pizza over there. Thank you so much for sharing that. Do you feel as though you had a confirmation bias when you were in this moment of your life? Like, were you seeking out that confirmation from the media that you were doing the right thing? Like, do you think your eating disorder kind of reveled in that? 100%. And I remember I used to have this fixation about asking Google about the (laughs) health nutrition facts of like everything I ate, even foods that I ate like every single day. So I had this weird thing where I would sit down to a meal and say I was eating prunes and quinoa and avocado and I would have to look up like on Google health benefits of prunes and read all of these articles about every single nutrient that's found in prunes and how it could benefit me. I was so fearful of doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. When you say doing something wrong, can you explain your fear a little bit more to us? Yeah, well, it goes to this whole good food, bad food mentality that's sort of Mm -hmm. given to us. And I had such a fear of certain foods because they were quote unquote bad because Google said it was bad because all these articles I found online proves the research of why this food is not beneficial for health, which is funny because I like you're saying with the confirmation bias, I was like looking on Google for those foods. So you were on Google, always looking for the health benefits of food. Yeah. So can I take it back to the confirmation bias? Yes. Yeah. So I was looking on Google being like, why milk is so bad for you? And in doing so, what does Google pop up? Every single article or research paper that shows why milk is so bad for you. Mm. I would never look up why milk is so good for you. So everything that I was looking at was just trying to confirm this belief I had that certain foods were bad and certain foods were good. Wow. I didn't 
suffer from orthorexia. So this is very interesting to me to hear that you were seeking out reinforcement of your kind of food labels of good and bad foods, which is, I mean, definitely something that if you're in an eating disorder, if you're, if you find an inch, you'll take a mile and be like, wow, milk is bad for me for all these reasons. I really have to stay away from milk now. And what's interesting is that, and I know you know, and hopefully your listeners know too, just the power of our thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like if we go to something thinking, this is going to make me feel sick. This is going to make me feel bloated. This is bad. This is bad. Like we're bringing to the table so much anxiety, so much stress, which puts us in that sympathetic nervous system response, which is that fight or flight. That's when all your energy is diverted away from the digestive system and into your limbs. So you can go run from the cyber tooth tiger who's chasing after you. Mm-hmm. So digestive system completely shuts off at that point. Yeah. So then you eat that food that you have a lot of anxiety and fear about, and you physically do feel sick about or after you eat it because your digestive system's turned off because of the stress that you brought to the table. I see that in my clients a lot. And one thing I try to help them with is focusing on their reaction to that discomfort. Because I find that I have one of two, two scenarios usually. I eat something, my digestive systems shut off because of the anxiety, and I feel uncomfortable now, so I panic. That's option number one, you know. Or option number two is managing the thoughts around that discomfort and knowing, okay, you know, this is rooted in anxiety. This is a temporary discomfort. What can I do to comfort myself and soothe my body and make this experience easier? Yeah, 100%. I had a client just yesterday, actually, we've been working on a lot of her fear foods. And one of her fear foods was cheesecake. And Mm. she's so anxious about eating this cheesecake for so many years but we set up a challenge okay this is what we're gonna do you're gonna eat it with your mom we're gonna go to this bakery you're gonna you know we set up all these things she came back to me and she's writing in I created google doc with all of my clients so she's writing in the google doc she's like I had the cheesecake like I'm so excited but I'm so nervous but I'm so excited (laughs) and she wrote also like I'm really worried though that like all this dairy is going to really mess up my digestive system. Mm. And I was like, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't put that on the cheesecake. We go to these foods expecting that it's going to make us feel a certain way because we've read something about it saying that it will make us feel that way. She's read her whole life how dairy is going to make her feel bloated, is going to clog up her digestive system. So then she's eating the cheesecake with this idea of this is what's going to happen because I'm having dairy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you feeling okay right now? She's like, yeah, I feel fine, but, but I might feel really bad. I'm like, or you might not, or maybe your body actually doesn't react negative, negatively to dairy. Maybe this is a story you've been telling yourself that you will feel sick every time you eat this mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times they come to me and they're like, oh, wait a minute. I thought I had a gluten intolerant. I thought I had you know, a dairy intolerance, but I don't because now I'm eating these foods and the reaction my body gives to me is not that this is a bad food for me. 
Yeah. It was my mind that kept on telling me this is a bad food for me. But in fact, she's like, ever since I've been adding in all these foods, like my digestive system feels better. I'm getting out of energy debt. I feel more energy. I'm feeling stronger. Her hormones are coming back on. Like all these things are happening. And so it's like, really, is the dairy bad? Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden, you know, you're on your way to getting your period back again. Yeah. So I don't, I don't see how we can call that bad if it's bringing you back into balance. It really does show how powerful your thoughts are. And while you were talking, I thought of the quote, where your thoughts go, your energy flows. And it's kind of the same thing with your body. Like if you set that expectation that your body's going to feel bloated and uncomfortable, you almost are manifesting that experience. And I love that you're teaching your clients to be open to the alternative, which is this might not be the case for you. This might actually, dairy might actually help your body. It might improve your ability to get your period back. You might be able to process dairy perfectly fine. And it might not be your experience to be bloated and uncomfortable. And I think one thing too, that's important to understand is the effect of energy debt on the digestive system. Because in the beginning, while I start working with my clients, they're heavily stuck in that energy debt. They've been underfueling or over-exercising and their body severely taxed. A lot of them experience digestive distress. It's a lot of them. And that's a very common side effect of malnutrition and of the energy debt. And so they can try and pinpoint certain foods. This is what makes me sick. This is what makes me sick and all of that. Without understanding that it's like, everything's going to make your digestive system whack right now. Like you're in energy debt. The digestive system cannot work properly because it doesn't have enough energy to do so. So in that beginning part, we just have to jump in with blind faith. We just have to say, you know what? I'm going to eat all this food. Yes, I'm going to feel bloated. I'm going to feel maybe a little crappy. Maybe I'll feel a little constipated for the beginning until my digestive system turns back on and then I won't react to these foods. Yeah. So the answer isn't the restriction in, you know, taking out all the meat and the dairy and the eggs and all these things that you claim that you're reacting to. The solution is to get your digestive system to a healthy place because you're an energy balance Mm -hmm. that you're not reacting to all these foods. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm so glad you are speaking to that right now, because I'm sure there's so many people who think the solution to their digestive problems is to avoid things. Yes. Well, I would say that 90% of the clients that I work with are coming from some sort of vegan background mm-hmm. and their solution to the digestive distress that they've been experiencing for many years has always been to go on another detox or to do another cleanse again, because this is the stuff they see online. People are talking about bloating online and do this seven day reset with me where I'm just drinking, you know, apple cider vinegar and lemon honey water all day. Mm -hmm. And they think that that's going to be the solution to their bloating, Mm -hmm. which again, going deeper into energy debt is never the solution to your digestive problems. Never. You need energy to have proper digestion. You need a good amount of food to have proper digestion. And so it's only going to get worse. It might temporarily feel better because they're not eating. And so it's like, I'm feeling light. My digestive system's doing nothing. But then once they start incorporating even the smallest amount of food, they're going to have huge flare ups. Mm -hmm. 
And so to bring it back to your story, you were struggling with this orthorexia, purity of food mindset, and also veganism, correct? Like that was part of it for you? I think veganism was the most detrimental diet that I chose during my orthorexic phase. I did go through keto, I went through paleo, I did some other things, but it was definitely the vegan diet that really um, impacted my health in a negative way above all the other diets that I did, yes. So what made veganism so dangerous for you? Well, a vegan diet is lacking in a lot of essential nutrients that our body needs to thrive. And I think it's pretty common, we hear touted online that vegan diet is lacking in B12. And so people say, just as long as you supplement with the B12, you're good. Which I do have to say that supplementation always doesn't work because I was adamantly supplementing with two different types of B12, the methylcobalamin and the cyanocobalamin, every single day that I was vegan. And I ended up with a big B12 deficiency. Mm. And B12 deficiency is not something to take lightly. It can have serious effects that are long-term and irreversible if taken too far. I was getting a lot of tingling in my hands and my feet. I was getting some sort of nerve damage. I've had a couple clients who are older who have gone through full-on neuropathy where they literally can't even walk on their feet because of the B12 deficiency that they occurred during the time that they were eating a vegan diet. So it's quite serious. Um, but I think we all have heard about the B12. But there's other things like EPA and DHA. You can find ALA, which is a form of omega-3 in plant-based foods, but you cannot find DHA and EPA, except for like an algae. So if you're supplementing with a lot of algae, you might be able to get a little bit of it. But that is crucial for brain functioning. There's no choline. Choline is crucial for your nervous system, for brain development. There's so many things that choline is essential for. There's vitamin D, vitamin A in the form of retinol and not... Um, beta carotene so carrots have vitamin a but it has it in the wrong form we need vitamin a in the form of retinol that is what our body needs to build up sex hormones to um to have proper eye functioning and all of that so there's a lot of just nutrient deficiencies in the vegan diet that even if you were going to go and spend a thousand bucks a month on supplementing, you still aren't going to be adequately getting all the nutrients that you need. Mm -hmm. That's so informative and helpful to just remind those listening of how many side effects there are to the vegan diet that you might not be aware of. Yeah. And it's, you know, nutrition aside, it's a very restrictive diet. And I think anyone coming from a restrictive eating disorder, mm -hmm. trying to recover while doing something that's so innately restrictive. And I know online, we like to hear that the vegan diet is full of abundance. You can eat an abundance of plant foods. Don't fall into that trap. Yeah. It is not abundant. It cuts out all fish, all dairy, all meat, eggs. It cuts out a huge portion of food. And I think just on the eating disorder mind to 
do a diet that's that restrictive is not going to allow you to fully mentally heal, which is a huge part of the recovery process. I talk a lot with my clients. Okay, we have to physically nutritionally rehabilitate your body. We got to get you back to a healthy state, but we also have to rewire all this fear and anxiety you have around food. And I think trying to recover on a plant-based diet is not getting rid of all that fear and anxiety because you're still anxious about the butter and the meat and anything, you know, that's put in front of you. You have to ask, was there butter in this? Was there cheese in this? Like, and that's not conducive to letting go of all your eating rules and feeling free around food and recovering from your eating disorder. Yeah. Whenever I have clients come to me with veganism, I actually consider that a disordered behavior. And like deep down, I kind of categorize it as a behavior. And I know there's a lot of morality and really strong values connected to veganism. So what do you say to those clients who are really attached to veganism for the moral reasons connected to like humanitarian things and the health of the world and the animals and the planet. I tell them I completely understand. Mm -hmm. Like I completely understand. And I think one good thing that the vegan sort of movement has brought to everyone's attention is the atrocities of factory farms Mm -hmm. and how we, how we do animal agriculture in the United States and around the world. It's everywhere. It's not just here. I think that that is something good that we have learned from that, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there are certain farms who are doing inhumane things doesn't mean that eating animals is wrong and is bad for the environment. Mm. I have worked at a local organic farm for the past five years. He's one of the biggest organic farmers in my county. He's an amazing man, and he has taught me a lot about regenerative farming and about the importance of having animals on your land. We need the chickens to be around pooping on the ground to make the land fertile. Mm. And that's an essential part of his farming. And he couldn't do it without the cows and without the goats and without the chickens and the pigs and all of that that's creating this balanced ecosystem. I'm looking out right here. Um, I have about 15 chickens in my yard and I get fresh eggs every single day for my chickens. My chickens are healthy. They run around. They're eating grass and our kale and our tomatoes and everything all day. They're really healthy and it's a beautiful sort of symbiotic relationship that we have. We take care of them. They take care of us by giving them their giving us our eggs. And so I understand, and it's a really hard, really hard topic to dive into the more ethical and morality part of it. But I think that sort of plays into the orthorexic thing too, of this, you feel like you have to be so above everyone else and do the, all these morally great things, even if it's destroying your health. And that's the fault in orthorexia where you put this ideal above how you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm, wow. That's, that's a powerful concept to wrap your head around. Do you feel like you had a moment where you reconciled with that? 
With eating animal products again? With, no, with the morality and feeling like you're putting your you're putting your values and your morality above how you feel. Mm. Yeah, well, for me at the end of my sort of eating disorder journey, I really started suffering from ill health. I was in this horrible, horrible loop of restricting and binging. Every single night I would just be, and it wasn't an emotional thing. It was this like, I need food type of thing. So I would binge on whole jars of almond butter and whole bars of chocolate and whole loaves of bread. And it was coming from this just innate feeling of like, I need food, but I would eat all this food and I still would feel so uncomfortably full yet so absolutely famished. And like my body was just going to it was going to wither away and die if I just didn't get in more food, more nutrition. I started dealing with a lot of eye problems. I was getting a lot of blurry vision. I was experiencing hair loss again, which is really scary for me. That happened back in my anorexic days. But here I was and claiming that I was eating the healthiest diet in the world and my hair was falling out. And no matter how much I ate, I couldn't get my period back. So there were some points in my sort of vegan journey where I was eating, you know, upwards of 4,000 calories a day, like a lot of food. Mm -hmm. And yet my hormones just were not coming back. And I hit my 25th birthday and I feel like I just got slapped in the face. And I got this like feeling of like, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to be able to have children and I am not healthy despite what my brain and what the orthorexia is telling me of I am so healthy because I'm eating 100% whole foods, plant-based, no oil, no salt. Like I felt like I was doing everything right. And yet my body was just screaming at me at like, you're not, you are not doing anything right. There's so many things that are going wrong here. So I think I definitely, in regards to your question, I definitely hit that point mm-hmm. when I finally hit that low point in my health and realized this isn't good for me and I need to make a change. Mm. That sounds like pretty reasonable. I feel like when you wake up on your 25th birthday, something shifts. I remember waking up on my 25th birthday and being like, oh, hello, like you are no longer, you can't get away with this stuff anymore. You really can't. I- Yeah, I couldn't get away with it. I also had a DEXA scan, so I got my bones, um, my bones checked out, and I have super low bone density. They diagnosed me with osteopenia, and this was all super hard for me to hear. Someone who has dedicated her life to be on this like quest of finding perfect health and realizing that my version of health was so wrong because now I eat chocolate croissants. I eat (laughs) lamb chops. I eat bacon. I eat eggs. I eat all these things and I eat sugar and I have birthday cake and pie and all that type of stuff. And I am so ridiculously healthy. I love that. That is such a victory. What did you do like from that moment? So you hit that moment of realization and then what changes did you start to make so that you could get your period back and restore your health? Well, the first thing I did was I went to uh, my chicken coop and I got four eggs and I made a four egg omelet and I had toast and I buttered that toast back and forth. And 
I literally still like I can get emotional over this meal. It's ridiculous. But I felt this rush of just like healing and health come over me. The second I bit into that omelet, it was like my brain turned back on. I, it wasn't, but like three days later that I finally, for the first time in 11 years, started seeing uh, cervical mucus in my underwear. It took me three days of eating animal products to see my hormones start to just like, start to be produced again. And it was so amazing. I told myself when I was eating the omelet, I was like, I'm just going to go slow. Like I feel like every vegan does. I'm just going to eat eggs. Maybe I'll add in some fish and then maybe eventually a little bit of dairy and things like that. And that night I found myself at Whole Foods buying lamb chops. Like my body wanted it so badly. And mind you, I was to the point where I was like, I literally, this is it. Either I'm going to completely destroy my health or I'm going to face my fears. I'm going to realize that what I've been doing is has been so detrimental and I'm going to literally burn and erase everything I've ever learned about nutrition and I'm going to listen to my body and I'm going to feed it the foods that I grew up eating. So I started incorporating a lot of good animal products, bone marrow, sardines, and uh, steak, and ribeye, and bacon, and eggs, and all these things. I started adding those all in, and then it wasn't until a couple months later till I really wanted to get to that place of full recovery that I realized I need to stop exercising because the exercise was always such a hindrance to my recovery. It was such a stress on my body. And I made myself exercise so much with little to no rest days. And so I remember it was Thanksgiving that I finally was like, this is it. I can't take this anymore. I'm completely cutting out exercise. I'm eating an abundance of food. I really, I mean, I was eating quite a lot of nourishing food and it wasn't but a month and a half later Right on December 31st, I had told my mother, I was like, if I don't get my period back before the new year, then I'm going to go see a gynecologist. Then I'm going to try and work it out and see what we can do. And it was December 31st, my period came and I've had cycles ever since. Yay! Oh my gosh, that is such an amazing story. So this was December 31st, 2019. 2019 and I just last week had my 11th cycle. That is amazing. And how did you feel when you finally got your period back? I felt like a completely different human being. I felt like a woman again. Like speaking to that whole like you turn 25 and then you realize like, oh wait, I'm not a little girl anymore. Like I got to learn how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And I finally felt like I was the woman that I had always tried to be. But now I felt like I was just embodying her both in my energy because I felt super grounded because I was eating so much nourishing food, but also in just the way I physically looked. I, you know, I know weight gain is super hard for a lot of people, but for me, it was really this experience of stepping into that womanly body that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be that little girl anymore who was shy and who was hiding herself away. I wanted to be that vivacious, bright woman. And I wanted to show that in the way I physically looked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I definitely can connect with that feeling. Like when you're 
super underweight, emaciated, not getting your period. There is a part of you that's just like, I feel like I'm stuck in this little girl body. And once you can finally restore the weight, get your period back, it, it does feel very empowering. Yeah. And it felt so good to know that my body was on my side and I had fought against the whole recovery sort of protocol that I had heard so many people go through. I was like, there's no way if I gain weight or eat more food and add in pizza and add in hamburgers and stop exercising, like there's no way I'm going to be healthier. But boy, was I wrong. Because like I said, I it's night and day difference, my health. I no longer have weird attitudes towards food. I no longer binge eat at night. I no longer feel the need to excessively exercise. I'm just genuinely healthy now. Yeah. So do you feel like you went through mental transformation as well? Because I think we can tell ourselves we're physically healthy as much as we want, especially when we're eating a plant-based diet, but our mental health might not be there. So do you feel like that's also what encouraged you to keep going with these changes that you made? I look back at videos that I made for my YouTube channel a couple years back and I'm astonished at how I was unable to form a sentence, at how much I stuttered, at how unclear my thought processes were. Like very astonishing how awful my brain health was a couple years ago compared to now. And I will be fully honest and transparent, I still struggle a lot with my brain. It is night and day difference from when I was vegan and from when I was still stuck in quasi-recovery for so many years. But my brain has still been an issue of concern for me. Even though it's improved so much, I think that there is some damage that I've done that I don't know if I'll ever heal from. But mentally, in terms of my relationship to food, my relationship to body, that completely 100% has changed. It's weird. I look at who I was a couple years ago And it's almost like I'm looking at a sister. Mm. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like it's me, but yet I feel like I know that person so well, but yet I don't, I don't resonate with her and her energy and her emotions and her thoughts and her behaviors. I don't resonate with that at all. I'm so completely different now. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend for those who might be stuck in a vegan diet or stuck in like full-blown orthorexia, what do you recommend for them to do to restore their periods if they have lost them? First off, stop listening to the podcast about nutrition. Stop reading all of the books. Stop looking up on Google all of the articles that is just trying to confirm that your diet that you currently believe in is correct. Mm. because if you do not have a period and if you are in energy debt, you're not healthy. No matter how much research out there is showing that your diet is the healthiest thing out there and it will make you live to 150 years old. I don't care if you're not experiencing health, then it's not right for you. So I think that that is the first step is to really work on erasing all of this knowledge that you've accumulated um, on health and nutrition and to put that aside or completely burn it and start from fresh. 
And I think the best thing that you can do is allowing yourself all and any foods. Amen to that. I love that. It was, or I should say, it is one of the best things that you can do both mentally and physically Mm -hmm. because energy debt will be way more detrimental and damaging to your health than sugar from that donut you ate. Mm -hmm. 100%. Energy debt is designed to really deplete and slow down your body. Thyroid function, metabolism will be down, digestive system, your hormones, everything's going to be severely taxed and affected by not getting not only enough calories, but enough of the right food. And so this is where I see a lot of people go wrong is that they try and just up their calories on their restrictive diet that they're on Mm. thinking that, Oh, this is merely a calorie thing, but it's not, it is a nutritional thing as well. And if you're cutting out huge food groups, whether that be carbs or whether that be fat or protein, if you're cutting that out, you're not going to be able to fully nutritionally rehabilitate your body because you need all of those things. So my biggest advice to them is to not fear any food. I think that is perfect advice because that is a lot about what we do as coaches, you know, helping people push through foods, challenging them to eat any food that their heart desires. I completely agree. And one thing I want to mention is that I've noticed in your story and in the advice you give is that there is like a profound shift from relying on external factors like health information on the internet and what people are telling you is right or wrong and shifting that attention inwards towards your body and trusting your body's experience over everything the world is telling you. Can you kind of speak to that wisdom that you found in your recovery? Well, listen, we are all very unique individuals and while there are some similar things in the fact that we all have a heart, we all have a brain, we all have a liver, we're very different. And it depends on our genetics, on our ethnical background, our cultural background. It depends on um, where we live. Like there's so many things that play into health that we can't just give a one diet fits all approach because even look at just from a three-year-old's diet, their dietary needs to a 69-year-old's needs, radically different. So we can't go and say that there's one perfect diet because the three-year-old's going to need something completely different than the 69-year-old. So listening to all this stuff out there is never going to lead you to what your body needs because that researcher far away in a lab has never met you has never analyzed your body. Mm. And food is more than just like how nutrition works in the body. And I think you must know this, how important it is to just, I don't know, let me put it this way. There's something really profoundly healing about stepping into your mother's house and eating that egg frittata that she used to always make for you when you were five years old. Mm. Nutritional science can't really explain why that egg frittata to you 
is extremely healing. But when you eat it, that reminds you of your mother's love, which is a healing energy that puts you back in your childhood, which brings back good memory. It's like, we can't explain all of that in fat grams, calories, and macronutrients. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful piece of wisdom you have to share. There is something healing and spiritual about the experience of food. And I see that all the time with clients of mine. And we'll try to set up, challenge them not just to eat certain foods, but to have certain food experiences that they've denied themselves for years, like that egg frittata. You know, I've had clients who they, I've challenged them to get a coffee and pastry with their best friend. And there's something energizing about going to the coffee shop and connecting with that friend and letting go of your fears in that moment so you can build a bond with them and enjoy an experience that's unrelated to, you know, health and your eating disorder. And that's what's so healthy right there. It is the experience of going out and bonding with other people. I studied public health in university. And one of the things that we studied heavily was the social determinants of health. Mm. Social determinants of health are all these other factors that play into the health and well-being of an individual. It has to do with air quality, with the amount of autonomy they feel at work, with the close relationships they have. Um, it has to do with their access to health care. It has to do with so many other things besides the food that they're eating. That's a very small part of health. And with orthorexia or with eating disorders in general, I think we're really fixating on this tiny little piece here. And in doing so, though, unfortunately, we socially isolate. We don't go to events and parties and things like that. We don't participate in this thing called communion, communing with people over the table. We take ourselves outside of that. And one of the social determinants of health, one of the biggest social determinants of health is the community that you have around you. And if you are doing something that isolates you and takes you out of this community, you're going to have severe implications to your health. And that's, again, that's something that you don't hear or read about in the nutritional books. I completely hear you on that. I think food is meant to enhance our lives and it's meant to not just fuel our bodies, but connect us with people and our community and connect us to our culture and other people's cultures. I think it's just a really beautiful experience that we can't forget those elements of food. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, Chloe, you are just a wealth of information and your story is just so vibrant and bright. And do you want to know what's amazing? While you were talking about restoring your period, I got this sense that you have incredible mothering energy and you just like, you're just like, that is the vibe you put off. You have this really beautiful mothering energy that seems to be a part of who you are. I'm so glad that you were able to restore your health and like connect with that side of you because that would be a loss if you didn't have that. Oh, thank you. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because while I was stuck in quasi recovery, I thought I hated children. I was like, I never want to have children. I couldn't stand to be around my nieces and nephews, but then I went through the healing process and I got my period back and 
I all of a sudden felt this like huge, just like energy of like motherness and nurturing. And I think that really comes from just filling up my cup, getting myself to a really healthy place that I now have enough to give to others. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that if you're so preoccupied about your own health and about how much calories was in your breakfast. Like you have, you're really taking away from the things that you could have and that you could be giving to others when you're so fixated on this one point of your life. So that makes my heart sort of just like be and be happy hearing that because I think that was a huge part of my journey was mm-hmm. learning how to nourish myself and stepping into that like womanly energy and that motherly energy I feel like I've always had. Oh, that's so beautiful. That You definitely have that within you. So it's really amazing to see that just shine through you as a person. Chloe, let us know, how can people find you online? Well, a couple different places. Um, Instagram, I'm there daily. I know Mike follows me a lot. I'm posting daily stories, posts, all of that. It's a great place to message me on Instagram. I respond to every single message I get. But if you're wanting deeper content and really hearing me talk about various things like energy debt or why veganism may not be the best to support your health or how to get your period back, then I definitely recommend finding me on YouTube. Both is Flow with Clo, so you can find me in those two places. Amazing. That's awesome. And, you know, before I let you go, I just remembered one question I wanted to ask you, kind of a tangent. But what do you love about being an eating disorder recovery coach? And why do you feel like it's an important part of the recovery process? Because we're two coaches here. It's not a very known thing yet. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I love that I can create a friendship with my clients. I think therapy is great and it's so necessary. And I applaud all of the therapists and dietitians and psychiatrists and stuff out there that are working with people in the eating disorder field. Great, great support and health. But as a coach, I'm stepping into this, like, I'm here for you, babe. And we're really (laughs) going to like, we're going to really work through this together. And I love how I'm constantly texting them and messaging them and sending them cool podcasts. And like, I feel like I develop a great friendship with these girls. And then the best part for me is seeing them completely evolve and change. And it's like carefree, super happy, like person. It's crazy how I can see it. There's always sort of a turning point with a lot of my clients and they'll get on the zoom call. And even through zoom, I'll like look at them and immediately I'm like, what changed? Something completely (laughs) changed. And they're like, Chloe, I don't know, but I'm just like everything in life's just working. And I'm feeling so connected to myself. I'm like, I can tell you're holding your head up higher. You look more excited. Your eyes are brighter. And I think that just every time just like literally makes me want to tear up and cry. And I do cry on the sessions with my clients because I get so teary eyed about the improvement that they make. And knowing that I helped in that, that I helped give them the permission to take care of themselves is... I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And I absolutely love having this more intimate relationship with the people I work with. I completely agree. It's a beautiful relationship. I love the friendship as well. And just being there to guide them through their recovery experience and support them. It's a really special career path. So I'm glad 
that you are loving it as much as I am. And I'm so excited that we have connected today. And I hope we just continue to, you know, build together as coaches. 100%. And I just launched my Feed Your Flow podcast. And I definitely can't wait to have you on it so that your listeners can hear more your thoughts, your experience, and the great things that I know you have to say as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chloe. Have an amazing day and I will talk to you soon. All right. Bye.